Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. This is Tovia Kopsty, and in this episode, we have the privilege of sitting down with Melissa Rothenberg Kapustin. And Melissa is a personal injury lawyer for the Rothenberg Law Firm. And she is an expert in Jewish history who lectures in Jewish history. And we have a fascinating conversation about how to bring the knowledge of Jewish history and how it helps one's Jewish identity and understanding who they are into the legal career. We talk about, of course, the those questions that are universal about how to balance an observant life with the professional life. And we think you'll like this podcast. Enjoy. Okay, it is my great pleasure here to be sitting with Melissa Rothenberg Kapustin, attorney, partner at the Rothenberg Law Firm, and Jewish educator and lecturer. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for your time. Okay, so I would love to let to start off with uh, what what's your story? How did you get to where you are today, professionally, and uh, in terms of what you what you teach? Okay, so I'm from a family of lawyers, and if anyone's familiar with the Rothenberg Law Firm, so my parents are both attorneys. They started the firm, and I have six older siblings who are also attorneys. Um, five of which are in the firm, and another who's a criminal attorney and. We grew up with a lot of law in the family. Um, my younger sister did not go into law. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, but I grew up thinking that, of course, we had to go to law school. But I kind of veered a little bit off that path uh, because I very much enjoy Jewish history. Um, I started learning Jewish history very young and recording stories of Holocaust survivors and writing about Holocaust survivors. So when I got to college and was exposed to Jewish history at a collegiate level, I thought I should go and take that degree and further my degree. So I went for a master's in Jewish history. Um, I actually started a PhD program as well, but my father insisted that law really trumps any doctoral programs in Jewish history. Uh, So I, I made a deal with my father that if I were to go to law school instead of continue in the Jewish history field, he would still allow me to teach Jewish history. So he's kept to that deal. I joined the firm, went to law school, um, but I do teach one class of Jewish history currently at my own high school. Um, And when I have the chance, I try to combine both Jewish history and law in the form of CLEs to other attorneys as well. In the form of what? What was that last thing? CLEs, continuing legal education classes um, and other opportunities where You can combine the two, just knowing Jewish history and how we've seen Jewish history evolve and how it relates to currently, whether it's U.S. law or just in terms of the legal world and how it relates to the Jewish world. Uh huh. So let's let's go a little bit into the Jewish history. So I I always like history and going to history class, learning about U.S. world history. I didn't have any special, special, special official education in Jewish history, just reading books and, and, and learning and understanding more as, as I go along. But um, what, do you, what do you think is the main takeaway of knowing Jewish history? What, That's, what, what, yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it's actually why I love to teach it, because 
Jewish history is not necessarily learning history like you would world history. The events happened, okay, and so you learned about the Greeks and you learned about the Romans. For Jewish history, it's who we are as a people. So learning Jewish history and understanding Jewish history helps us to understand who we are today. It's really hard to understand who we are living as Jews in America or throughout the world or Jews living in Israel with really not understanding where we came from. So I always like to to tell people knowing Jewish history is really understanding why you practice as a Jew today. And so so therefore, as as a teacher of Jewish history, do you approach it differently than if you were teaching U.S. history or? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, how, absolutely. So is it so it's not just reading units and testing on the units and asking interesting questions, but but what what makes it different? How is it different? So I think the, I guess the difference is for me, I, I struggled a little bit. I grew up in, in a home that, you know, became Orthodox and I went to a very Orthodox Jewish day school, but it was difficult for me to take all the rules in where, you know, my teachers would say, you have to do this, you have to keep this. And so in high school, I kind of rebelled a little bit and didn't really understand why I had to keep on the same path as, let's say, my siblings or my parents who um, were Orthodox. So for me, I came to my understanding of why I wanted to maintain my orthodoxy through my knowledge of Jewish history. And what that means to me as a teacher is that I try to give that over to my students as well. Understanding Jewish history and to see the patterns, like, for example, when you look at the prophecies of um, Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and they tell us that God is going to punish us if we don't follow in his ways. And we have even prophecies that are so telling, like literally can describe the eras of the Crusades or the Holocaust. And then you see it unfold in history. It, it, it makes our history a miraculous event. So I, I give that over to my students as well. A lot of them ask, like, why is Jewish history? We're persecuted, we're killed, they want to annihilate us, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's so, it, it, it makes you want to be despondent about being a Jew. And for me, it was the opposite. It was like my aha moment that I came through understanding that Jewish history actually gives us this sense that we literally are, as a people, a miracle. And I always start with that idea that Mark Twain, you know, he wrote about the Jew. Um, he may not necessarily have been so much of a friend to the Jew, but he talked about the Jewish people as being a people that there's no reason that there's no rational reason that they should still exist. Every other people that faced what they faced is gone. They're gone. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Crusaders, et cetera, go throughout the Nazis, okay, for example. Everyone that tried to kill us is actually gone themselves. So when we look at history and you look at it that way, so even if, you know, for me, it was like a little bit tenuous, why am I keeping, you know, to my Judaism? I don't need to necessarily. But when you see history and you see how much we are such a miraculous people, it, it really gives you the sense of, you know what, if I'm going to be a part of this people, then I want to be fully a part of this people and understand it. So I give, try to give that over to my students that when they're learning history, it's not a lesson in a history book that they should learn but they need to learn the path of our ancestors to truly understand who they are today. Wow. Okay. Incredible. And do you find it, do you find that, that, that they respond to that approach and they're, and they're at the end of the semester or however, however it's structured that they're, they're feeling closer. Uh, you know, it's, it's high schoolers, so it depends. Um, <laughs> but I, I do find in addition to teaching Jewish history, I also teach contemporary Israel. So um, that's basically teaching them the anti-Semitism on campus and what they're going to face, mm. understanding anti-Semitism in the media, 
so I think it really does give them the sense, you know, or when we watch the proceedings of the United Nations, you know, and I share mm-hmm. that with them, and they're literally watching nations stand up and blast Israel, and it's almost comical at this point, you know, when the when you have human rights violations all over the world, but the only topic that's brought up over and over and over again is Israel. So it's kind of like I tell them, you're watching, you're watching, like you know, hopefully not that long from now, but when God's going to play history all over and he's going to say when the nations of the world, you know, they say, no, we didn't really harm the Jewish people. He's going to play the minutes of the United Nations as everybody's standing up there and blasting Israel for doing what, you know? So it's really, I feel like a lot of the students come away and they know they're going to face anti-Semitism on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're watching the news where you have Hasidim walking along in Williamsburg and the Shrimal is knocked off their head or Jews are punched in the face. Or, or many of them, their older siblings who are harassed on college campuses already. And they want to know, like, what is it? Why is there so much anti-Semitism? So when you combine the idea of, of anti-Semitism throughout the ages with the current form of anti-Semitism and its anti-Israel form, it makes sense. I hope to give off to them that, like, don't worry, like, it's part of being a Jew, but it's a good thing in the sense that one day it will end and we know it will end. Um, but you know, it's hard. It's not so hard. Why it's, it's not so easy while they're living through it and hearing over and over again, the media blast Israel or walking down the street and worried, like if I'm identifiably Jewish, will someone come over to me and do something? So, you know, it gives them pause to think about it, but I'm hoping that they'll have that ingrained in them that don't worry, everything is going to be okay. And look at it, look at history, you know, we will survive. Uh-huh. So let me ask, let me call on this point, because I think a lot of our, a lot of our listeners who are students, they will not be familiar with what, what does it mean one day it will end? Does that mean that through advocacy and through the, the knowledge of the generation of, of the source of anti-Semitism that we'll eventually be able to explain it to the world? Or are you talking about a sort of spiritual ending? That's a great question. So I, I think it's twofold. Um, number one, we see throughout history that, you know, there are eras when when things are much worse for the Jew. Um, right. So you had even from the Talmudic times when we had there were times when the Jews were running and they couldn't learn the Torah and they were hiding in caves. Um, but eventually they came out and they wrote it down. Um, we know from the crusading period also that not every sing- single decade in the medieval era were times when the Jews were killed. Um, it wasn't every era in, let's say, um, Eastern European Jew- Jewish history also. There were many, many pogroms, but it wasn't every decade and it wasn't every era. So I feel like right now that's the biggest battle that we're facing. Um, thank God we're not facing pogroms on the street or we're not facing crusaders. We're not facing Nazis taking away our rights. But we are definitely facing issues on campus, issues within the media for sure. So I think it's like something that we should be encouraged that, yes, this has happened to us in all different shapes and sizes and different forms. So eventually this too shall pass. Uh, but from a spiritual sense, I also think and think back to a very famous story where um, Rabbi Akiva, one of the Tanayim, um, who was the Tanayim were responsible for compiling the Mishnah, um, and he's walking, and I'm sure you're familiar with the story, but it's one that I always tell my students. So he lived, he survived through the Bar Kokhva revolt, which was when Jews in Israel were trying to revolt against the Romans after the destruction of the temple, but they wanted to take Israel back. And he survived the Bar Kokhva revolt. And he survived after Hadrian, who was the Roman emperor, plowed over the entire top of the Temple Mount. And the other Tanaim walking with him were crying, look what happened, our temple's destroyed. 
And Rabbi Akiva starts laughing and he turns to them and said, what do you mean? God predicted this. I'm laughing because if he predicted this is going to happen, he also says that one day it's going to end. So it's kind of twofold. We see historically speaking, yes, we're going to go through it and we're going through rough times currently when it comes to anti-Semitism, particularly through the anti-Israel bent. But we also do know that one day it will end. A lot of students, I think nowadays, although I was in college 20 years ago, I, I hear <laughs> and I speak to I speak to people. I think nowadays, um, if you don't grow up with a strong Jewish identity and you see um, you see experientially that on campus, there's such a strong anti-Israel and in the media, there's such a strong anti-Israel bent. The tendency is to disassociate yourself Jewishly and to not you don't want to show yourself outwardly as Jewish. And if somebody is. let's say there's a rabbi, obviously Jewish person out there who's, who's saying, come to my event, you know, like you'd rather avoid that person and not, and not get involved because you don't want to be in the crowd that is, uh, you know, uh, represents the oppressor and however, however they're misrepresenting Israel and Judaism and et cetera. So what would you say to, uh, to, to somebody who, who doesn't have, you know, even your upbringing was was very strongly Jewish. Even it sounds like your your parents made some kind of transition when you were young, or yeah. But but a lot of a lot of people out there, a lot of the Jewish young people out there nowadays don't even have that. And what would you say? Like why why should I? They might ask why should I get involved with this if it puts me on the you know on it puts me on the the blacklist. Right. So that is. It's a very difficult question, and I know that um, a lot of my students ask that also. Even though they're in a yeshiva day school, they say, well, when we get to college, we want to kind of lay low. We don't want them to know that we're Jewish. We don't want to have, you know, that, that you know, stamp on us saying, hit me, literally, actually, in today. Um, but on, on the flip side, when I went to law school, it was during the disengagement from Gaza. So that's when Israel had... Israel had taken over Gaza in 1967, and they won it in a defensive war. So all that ridiculousness about it being a legal territory is just a farce. Um, and so I felt the need while I was in law school when my professors would say something outrageously anti-Israel, which happened over and over and over again. I felt the need to raise my hand and say, actually, do you know what really did happen? Can you please tell the class what really did happen? Um, nowadays, I feel like you can't really get away with that anymore because it was uh, 15 years ago when I graduated law school. Um, but I do tell my students and I would say to the college kid who also feels I don't want to be associated with the Judaism, learn it learn your history, know what really happened. Maybe you won't join the Hillel or you won't join the Chabad or you won't fight your professors or your fellow students who are yelling anti-Israel propaganda at you nonstop. But for yourself, you should know what really went on. You should know the truth. The world, we're all mixed up. And, and I've actually said to all of my students and anywhere I've lectured, I said, you tell me one argument that is factually correct from any professor or any, you know, uh, college campus rally, anything that is correct, bring it to me. Like you find it, you find one. I have yet to have a student who has ever come to me with any real claim when it comes to any of the anti-Israel propaganda that they can show and support objectively. So I'm still waiting for that, where somebody could show me all these outrageous lines that are being said about Israel. Um, none of it, I mean, some, listen, Israel's not perfect, okay? And we're not perfect people. The Jews aren't perfect people. So certain things are true, but most often the comments that are made, the way things are portrayed are incorrect, um, are false historically, objectively. So I would say for that kid, just go and learn. 
learn who you are, learn the reality of what happened in Israel's history, when you learn what really happened in 1967, when you learn in 1948, when you learn about the partition plan, that there was already a two-state solution proposed in 1947, and the Jews accepted it, and the Arabs said over our dead bodies. When you learn these things, when you, when you realize in 1967, Israel pleaded with the world. They said, we don't want to fight. We, they, were, they were willing to give back Jerusalem. They were willing to give back everything so that there wouldn't be any more loss of life. And the way that it's, you know, portrayed today is ridiculous. That student who says, I don't want to be associated will say, wait, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to be outwardly associated because I'm afraid, but inwardly I'll know what is real and what is true. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Okay. Very positive message. Okay. So now let's go, let's move into the, to the law. So you said that a lot, a lot of what you learned in history, you, you bring in back into your legal career and in terms of continuing education. So what is the, how, how do you incorporate that? How do you incorporate what you, what you do legally and, and maybe Jewish law and Jewish history into, into the legal Okay, so it doesn't necessarily apply per se to what I personally handle. I handle mm-hmm. a lot of the mass torts for our firm. We're a personal injury firm. So I handle mass torts, um, which means cases like in, involving um, asbestos litigation um, or pharma- against pharmaceutical companies that they manufacture and sell drugs that harm people. So that's where I focus my particular area in the legal field. Um, but what I do try to combine for CLEs, I kind of go outside of my particular area um, within personal injury and more or less combine it with more, I would say, more constitutional law, for example, um, or just like uh, some of the topics that I've spoken on is, for example, the trial of the Talmud that happened in the 1200s mm-hmm. um, and understanding the trial in those days, which really wasn't much of a trial when it came to when it came to Jews versus the legal system that we have today, which really would afford people a real trial. Um, or I've discussed uh, citizenship when Jews were trying to gain citizenship throughout the Western European world from Germany to France to England um, and what citizenship today in the United States of America looks like. So what Jews were being denied then until they were ultimately granted citizenship versus what people would go through, let's say, in the immigration process in the United States. So a lot of my CLEs focus more or less on that type of law as opposed to personal injury, which I haven't really found necessarily the connection between personal injury and Jewish history, but it does work for other aspects of law. Okay, I understand. Now, in terms of personal injury, is your specific compartment within the law firm is it is it like what you described, like uh, against pharmaceutical companies, mass tort, is or is it more the uh, the accidents? Um, is yeah. Right. So, I mean, our firm handles car accidents and slip and fall cases, medical malpractice cases, um, product liability cases um, throughout the years. Yes, I did handle those types. But right currently, right now, I'm, I'm more working in the mass tort area. Mm-hmm. And do you I, I know I've, I've heard from your brother. Your brother is very visible. Uh, brother Harry is very visible in the in the world of, of outreach and lecturing. I know I, I've, I've seen him talk about um, how he finds meaning in the in representing the victim. And, you know, good versus evil. And do you, do you feel, do you find meaning in, in representing the people that have been wronged? And like, do you have any comments on that, on that aspect of your work? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that, um, helping people who have been harmed. And when you talk to clients, like I've had clients who are my own age, um, with young children at home who are harmed by various different products, like, for example, the, 
most recent case of J&J, and they produced talcum powder mm -hmm. for women, and women were unfortunately developing ovarian cancer left and right. And when you talk to someone, let's say with stage four cancer, who's around my age with little kids at home, it's very hard. Um, the only thing we can do for them is hopefully, you know, get them compensation so that at least their children will be cared for, um, their spouse, you know, but it's, it's very telling that when, when you have someone who calls you and they're in a situation where, you know, they're really been harmed and you could be, you could have been that person. For me, at least I know that I'm trying to do whatever I can to make it up to them in some form or way. I can't give them back their health. There's no way to do that. It's, you know, it's gone or we hope that cancer treatments will help some of these people. Unfortunately, not. Um, many of our clients and especially a lot of the cases that I handle in asbestos litigation, many of them are not alive. Um, and you know, they passed away with lung cancer, mesothelioma. So it's, it's pretty, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, there's no other way to put it. Um, but at least you could be there to console. So I feel like that's another aspect. And my kids always talk about that with me. They're like, aren't you a lawyer? It sounds like when you're on the phone, you're talking to people and trying to, to help them through, you know, what they're going through. So I feel very much like my brother, like there's that aspect of really helping people in addition to yes, getting them the money, but there's that, that feeling like you're not just there as their lawyer, also there are to help them through what they're going through. Okay, so I, I this is this is gonna be an interesting question. I'm not sure if you if you've heard this very much. I had a little bit of uh, professional exposure to the world of insurance claims adjustment adjusting, and and the person who was who was mentoring me, it wasn't something I went with. It was just a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, uh, dipping my toes into it. Um, but he said he he said they're they're in the world of personal injury. It's almost always the insurance company is the evil foe and the, and, and, <laughs> and they're always trying to give you as little as possible for, for wronging you. And it's the lawyer who rises up and defends the poor assault, you know, oppressed person. And, and he said, it's not always that way. It's, it's sometimes, sometimes in this profession, there, there's a tendency to, uh, to exaggerate that. Of course, you want, you want for your client, you want to get the claim. Um, you want to you want to get that settlement that that get, that's that's spectacular and really makes them feel like they've they've been vindicated. So there's I, I what I'm trying to get at is that there's there's this challenge as as a lawyer to to ask for for compensation to to ask for something honest and to represent the facts honestly. And I wonder if you have any comments on that from your from your observant Torah observant perspective about how you deal with those ethical questions of law. Where you know you could extort it's 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 possibly you can with with dramatic presentation you could convince the jury to uh, to to really get those those evil people you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like how does how do you how do you manage those kind of uh, those kind of challenges or do you find that to be a challenge at all? So I, I guess I don't really find it to be a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. I would say my father has ingrained in all of us and my mother as well, which is that we are obviously an openly orthodox law firm. Um, and because of that, we have to be more honest than anyone else, mm -hmm. you know, because people look to us. And if we make one mistake when it comes to honesty, it's not only, you know, an Orthodox Jew that's going to be blamed, but Jews in general, because people look for that, right? They look for the Jew to slip up, um, especially the Orthodox Jew with the kippah, um, with the yarmulke on their head. So my father's ingrained in all of us that we have to be honest. So we, you know, we go in with every negotiation with that 
in mind, meaning we're not there to create something out of nothing. And another thing that my father has also stressed to us is that you can't find one client who would rather go back in time and not have the injury that they suffered than be sitting in a courtroom or, you know, mediating something and trying to get money for it. So when we look at our cases, we don't look at it as like, how much can we get from the evil insurance company? We look at it as our, our client in front of us who's injured, never wanted that injury and would take it away if possible, um, but they can't. So we look at it as going forward as honest as possible and getting them the best settlement that will help them move forward with whatever injury they have. Beautiful. Do you sometimes find, do you sometimes have to deal with, with potential clients who are not being honest with you and you feel like you have to coach them in honesty? Um, so the times that I've had that experience, I've told the client that I'm sorry that we're not the right firm to represent you. Mm-hmm. And I think that all my siblings and my parents as well, if it comes to that where a client has made up an injury or made up an accident or, you know, says, well, I really wasn't hurt, but, you know, that's not for us. That's not a type of case that we're going to take on. So no, we're not going to coach anyone through dishonesty. That's not who we are. We, right. we take on catastrophically injured people, severely injured people, um, people with like significant injuries that we're not coaching them. We may help them. Let's say, you know, they have no idea where to go to a doctor. You know, they've never broken a bone in their body and they're stuck with a traumatic brain injury with several fractures, et cetera. We may help them to try to find the right doctors, but we're not going to coach them to to say the wrong thing or to create something out of nothing. No, that's not yeah. who we are. No, I would say I was I meant of oh. course you're not gonna coach them not to, to say the wrong thing, but maybe to coach them not to say the wrong thing. About if somebody's oh. coming with you, yeah. I mean that, but that, that would be more or less like if, you know, again, no one's saying who's evil, who's not, but if they're in a situation where another attorney is trying to trick them into saying something that really didn't happen. Yeah. Then obviously we'll help them to express what really did happen in a way that will give over their point correctly, but we're not the type to coach them. Like, Oh, make sure you say this, you know, and don't say Mm -hmm. that it's more or less like, here's the events that happen. If they try to catch you and try to say something on the record to slip you up or trick you, then yes, we're there to make sure that doesn't happen. Is, is, is having a certain, um, a certain courtroom presence, is that a very important aspect of what you do? I mean, being able to speak to a jury and being able to, um, being able to cross-examine and, and, and catch people in lies. And is that, do you find, is this an aspect of, of the, of the profession that you, that you work on and you you have guidance in? Um, that's a difficult question. I grew up with a family <laughs> of lawyers, so I don't even know what it means not to, like we just, you know, our, our uh, Shabbat table conversations is one bringing one argument, another person bringing another argument. So it's kind of like ingrained. So I I don't even know how to answer that question in the sense that, you know, I I wouldn't even say it's from a family of lawyers, but growing up in a, I guess, a a family wherein everybody has their own very strong opinions Mm -hmm. um, and having grown up in a background where you learn a lot and everyone has their, you know, way of different ways of learning. I feel like it just comes with the territory of someone says this and you say, why? Or like, where did you get that from? So that's just, again, ingrained. Okay. I got it. I think there's a, I think in the, in the world in general, there's a tendency with when somebody presents as an expert and then, then whatever you say, I, you're an expert, even, even if I, it doesn't sit well with me, I won't challenge it because you're the expert. But I think that the, of course, the lawyer perspective, which is, which is really in, in terms of Judaism, it comes from a Talmudic perspective where if you say something, I'm not going to take, I don't care who you are. 
it has to it has to it has to hold water <laughs> i'm not gonna right. <laughs> right. right that's what got me in trouble in high school when i you know if i had a teacher tell me you have to do this because uh, you know jewish law says i'd be like fine show it to me you know and i want to understand why does jewish law say that uh-huh. um for me eventually it helped because now i have a much better and deeper understanding of why i do things but you know not everyone in my class jumps at those things but coming from the rothenberg family that's what we do Mm-hmm. Very good. So is there, is there a certain asset to your, that, is there a, a certain asset that you have to your success as, as a lawyer, um, that you think is unique to you? And besides, besides the family background and having that ingrained in the, uh, in your upbringing? Right. Um, that's also a difficult question. I mean, okay. I kind of, you know, bring to the table something different than other lawyers do in the sense that, I mean, nowadays it's very common and my mother has eight children and my sister, thank God, nine children. And she's also a lawyer and my other sister. So like, we're kind of used to that now in today's culture, but I think being um, a mother myself and being attuned to other people's feelings, I am also a teacher. So it's not only the, the motherly aspect, but being an educator. So I feel like um, as an attorney, I have to kind of put those roles not on the side at all, but actually use those roles to help the people that I deal with, to help my clients. So I would say, yes, you know, being a, a litigator or being part of the Rothenberg Law Firm, which is a, a litigation firm, and we do bring a lot of cases, but we also are there for, for people, not only in the sense of getting money, but also there for people, like in, in terms of understanding the difficulties they're going through. You know, it's, it's not easy. Somebody calls us up and they've been in an accident and they have little children at home. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to put food on the table? Who's going to take their kids to school? Who's going to watch the kids after school? All those things where you might not think about as an attorney, the attorney's like, okay, so what do you need? You know, but the reality is like, we, I kind of bring that understanding to those people like, okay, you know what? We have to figure this out. Let's take a step back. And yes, you're going to need help you know you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get dinners for your kids or maybe someone can help out so those are the type of things that I feel is like a little bit more unique again not unique necessarily my mother my sisters they all you know and other people other female attorneys in the same idea I'm sure that they they bring that knowledge and that care in but I think that is something that I try to to bring with um, in all the cases that I handle is there a, a particular challenge in being a female attorney or being, or let's, let's make it female attorney is one part of the question, a female observant attorney. Is there a, a, a challenge that comes with those aspects of you to your career? So I would say not necessarily. Um, my father raised us, uh, the males and the females in the house. It didn't matter. We we're all going to become lawyers and going to become great <laughs> lawyers. Like he had no, there was like no, no such thing. Um, I know from my mother when she graduated law school in 1978 and um, the dean of the law school went over to my father and said, I don't know if I should congratulate you or not because your wife took away a seat from a male. So like that, you know, in 1978, that was happening. But by the time I hit law school, I think my class was 50-50 males and females. And I feel in today's world, it's really not, you know, so much of an issue in terms of being a female practicing law. It, it really, no, I don't, I don't think anyone views me differently because I'm a female and not a male in the firm. I don't think so at all. In terms of being an observant female, so it doesn't raise some challenges. 
I'm lucky. I work, you know, in in a family law firm, so not necessarily. I, I did clerk for a judge while I was in law school, and I worked for a cor corporate firm um, in law school as well during one of my summers. So that that brought up some interesting aspects, like whether or not you attend the um, the firm picnic where there's no kosher food at all, um, or you go to a luncheon when, again, they're not going to be serving kosher food, or where all the associates are supposed to be attending, you know, a, a meet and greet at a local bar. Like, that, those bring up some issues as an orthodox female attorney that, you know, were a little bit tricky, but, you know, I, I navigated them and tried to do the best as, that I could. Um, and today, in terms of, like, being an orthodox female attorney, I feel like very much, very, people respect it. Um, they respect the fact that, you know, there are certain boundaries that I try to keep to. And instead of looking at, like, oh, my God, I think people show a, a much more, um, I guess, respectful viewpoint towards somebody who says, no, this is who I am. And I know exactly who I am. And like, I'm not going to change that just because, you know, society today says you can't keep to, you know, Orthodox Judaism. So I don't find challenge. I just feel like you have to like, you know, sometimes you have to make it known who you are. Um, but I think people respect it. Okay. And do you find yourself on a, on a regular basis having to defend in your, in your professional life, having to do these kind of things like you, you coach students how to defend themselves and be proud when people tell lies about Jews or Israel. Do you find that that comes up in your professional life at all? Not necessarily, no. Okay. Very okay. infrequently does it come up. Um, I try to avoid political discussions. That's the truth when it comes to um, the legal profession. Um, right. So I don't really find that much that, you know, that it's really an issue. Most of the time, you, you know, you're talking about law. And I've talked to attorneys out in, from, from Kansas to Virginia to, you know, throughout mm -hmm. the United States, especially within mass torts. And it really hasn't come up much. No, mm -hmm. no one's like, you know, you know, blast. In law school more so and in campus when, you know, when I had students, one student, one fellow student who I helped through law school, literally gave him my notes after every class. Um, I had my third child in my third year of law school. So I missed one week of classes and I asked this same student if I could have his notes. And he turned to me and he said, no, I don't want a Jew graduating at the top of our law school class. So like that's where more so it come, you know, mm -hmm. came up as opposed to now. I don't really find it professionally. I know that some people do find it, um, but I personally have not experienced that. Okay. Got it. Is there, is there a personal challenge that you felt you, in your career that you felt you had to overcome that? And, and is there anything we can learn that, that, that the listeners can learn from that challenge? Assuming there is one. Yeah, I, I haven't really had much in terms of professionally that I had to overcome mm -hmm. um, other than trying to balance family life with work life. That's always a challenge, but that's a daily challenge that I think most working female attorneys have to do. Um, and also, I also try to balance the Jewish history and, and teaching and my love of Jewish history for also making sure that I'm representing my clients to the greatest extent and, you know, not that they, that time limitation that I have should affect either one. So I would say that those are the challenges that I currently face, but I would say nothing, you know, necessarily different than many female attorneys do. Okay. Is um, what I want to ask is, is law for somebody who doesn't have that in the family, uh, like an expectation that you're going to go into the family firm, is law a career that you would recommend for a student in uh, deciding about a career path? 
So, I mean, I love law school. I, I think it's a, a great field. I think you could do a lot of good, um, even if you don't necessarily want to practice personal injury law. Mm-hmm. You want to do insurance defense, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a great career. Uh, it depends on your personality. You know, it's not for everyone. For some of my children, I tell them, you know, yes, law school is a good idea. For others, I say, no, law school is not for you. You know, mm-hmm. it depends if you have that intellectual curiosity. Um, you enjoy analysis. You enjoy writing. You enjoy reading. Then, yes, you know, law is a very good career. If you don't like any of that and you just, you know, want to speak and that's really the purpose of going to law school, there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more writing and reading and analysis than just, you know, public speaking. So but just caution people to really think of who they are and what they like to do, because if you like what you're doing, then you don't feel like you're necessarily working. You know, you feel like you're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Okay, I think that's that's all the questions I have. Is there anything that you would like to, any message you would like to give uh, to to any of these students listening? Like like I said, I mentioned before, many many of the the podcast fellowship students who this podcast is is uh, geared towards, they um, they're coming from not necessarily a strong Jewish education or strong Jewish identity. Some are, some aren't. Um, do you have any any final message to share? Any final thoughts to share to to such a, a mix of upcoming Jewish youth about Judaism, being Jewish? Yes, I guess I would share something from my mother. Like I grew up with a, a very strong um, understanding of how my mother came to her understanding of Judaism. So she grew up in a very non not Jewish area in in uh, Philadelphia environs. Um, and she was constantly taught and called dirty Jew and kike. And um, so she looked at like, wait a second, like, what does it mean to be a Jew? Like, I'm not even identifiably Jewish. And she didn't know much about Judaism. But she felt like if they're going to hate me, if they're going to talk that way to me, then I better learn about what what a Jew is. And that's how my mom became Orthodox because she, she looked and saw what Judaism was all about and realized, Hey, I want to become a practicing Jew. Um, and I've, I've kind of made my own journey through that as well. Looked at the world, looked at the way that Jews have been treated and have felt like, wow, you know what? That is how we've been treated. So I want to be the best Jew that I could possibly be. And my message that I give up to my students and I would give to, you know, college students who aren't necessarily affiliated either is learn, learn your heritage. Learn who you are. And what Hitler taught us with a very stark message was you can't escape it. You can't escape your Judaism. So you may think you can run away from it. You know, you may not want to be a practicing Jew, but maybe you should learn about what does it mean, you know, who you are. So, you know, if you have the chance to something, to read about it, to talk to someone about your Judaism, to ask questions about what it means to be a Jew, you should do it now because it will only open doors for you. It will never close any doors if you learn about your Jewish education. It will only open those doors to you. Okay, Melissa, thank you very, very much. Thank you for your time and for sharing your world. It was fascinating to see how you bring all these aspects of what you do together and your, and your passion for Jewish history. And we really appreciate this. And I think that a lot of the students will find, will find value in this. Okay, thank you. Okay. Keep up thank all you. the great work you do with your crew. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Be well. Bye-bye. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.